Hi, and welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. Before I started investigating, like, well, what happened to the warrant? Did I ever pay it off? Did I pay it? Did I work enough to pay this money back, you know? And so I called the local police department in the town and was like, Hey, is this warrant taken care of? And they're like, you never had a warrant out for your arrest. What are you talking about? This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Sona. I'm a writer, a speaker, persons with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness. I'm a tiny house enthusiast and a cereal foodie. And I'm Dixie. I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. So our guest that we have with us today is Tony McKinley. Tony is a fully trained TBRI, which is trust-based relational intervention practitioner, and an EMDR plus DBT trained therapist. She is the author of What Happened to Me, Healing for Sex Trafficking Survivors, and you can find her TED Talk about trafficking prevention available online. Tony is a recipient of the Hero Award and the Texas Governor's Human Trafficking Prevention Award. She has spoken at the United Nations at the status of the Commission of Women, as well as trained caretakers of trafficked girls in India. Tony has lived experience of child sex trafficking and has been serving as a DMST survivor and adult since 2011. Uh, welcome, Tony. Hi, thank you. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here. So for those that are not familiar with those letters um, mm -hmm. in your introduction, can you explain what some of those pieces are? Sure. So really, um, EMDR and DBT um, are related to the field of counseling. I'm an LPC, which is Licensed Professional Counselor. Mm -hmm. um, and EMDR is Eye Movement Desensitization um, Reprocessing which is um, really great for integrating um, yourself when you've experienced trauma, particularly even any kind of hard trauma, but it works really well with childhood trauma because we tend to integrate into different parts. Um, and then DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy, which is great for anyone who may experience a lot of suicide ideations, um, maybe have um, some personality disorder they were diagnosed with where they really struggle um, in life and communicating with people in a way where they can be heard. Um, and um, so those are just really great therapies to use with people with trauma. I've gone through it myself personally through my own healing process. And now as a counselor, I've been trained in those to help others um, who are who want that, you know, who need that for their healing process. And then there's also um, the um, practitioner you mentioned, trust-based relational intervention. Um, which really is to me just kind of a way of life of how people should be treated in a trauma-informed way and how we should respond to people and children who, um, particularly children is what it's created for, but I use this in all ages of life um, um, with people who just, you know, 
get emotional sometimes. Those who have experienced a lot of trauma may get more emotional than others because they're triggered. And those who may have little T traumas, um, it helps with everything. I just really feel like it's just a way to respect people in the space that they're in. So that's Very awesome. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we love that. And we really can't wait to get to know you a little bit more. So we'd love to hear more about your story. Uh, so why don't you take sure. it away yeah <laughs> i'll let you be the star yeah um gosh um well i just think my life has just been really complex and difficult like a lot of people who've experienced trafficking um i just i didn't grow up in the most pleasant environment as a kid and um it, it is really hard to talk about like my childhood and what i experienced um but trafficking did start for me at a very young age. Um, I don't remember a lot of it because of disassociation. And so counseling has really helped with that and to try to piece as much as I can together about what happened to me. Um, but it, you know, I didn't really get like this great shot at life starting at such a young age of, of being sold for a little bit. Um, and then by the time I became a teenager, I was just very confused and angry and didn't feel loved or cared for by my family um, because of what happened to me as a child when I was younger. Um, and but I also had this spirit in me, like a little bit of a fight in me, I guess, and not knowing a appropriate way to react to the triggers I was experiencing and the um, environment I was living in, um, I started running away from home a lot. And that's what led to me being trafficked again at the age of 15. I started running away at the age of 14 um, and then was trafficked for a short, uh, very short period at the age of 15. And because of that, I was then put into a couple of girls' homes. And so I was taken out of the abusive environment I was in with my family um and put into i had a couple of girls homes that i was in but i wasn't there very long because again i ran away i was kind of like my coping mechanism if um i was just uh, felt like i knew what was best for me i could raise myself better than anyone else could and really what it is of course i had no financial means to support myself didn't have a roof over my head was living out of cars and empty houses um but I wasn't being hurt, you know, sexually, um, emotionally, physically. Um, and that's all I, I knew that I wanted was I just wanted people to quit hurting me. But um, because I was looked at as a rebellious teenager, um, I wasn't taken seriously about what had happened to me. And so if I tried to speak mm -hmm. up about abuse that I was going through and living in a very strict religious environment, um, people look at you as you're just a bad kid that's disobedient and doesn't want to obey. And um, and so I didn't get any help. Um, I was only put in a girl's home because I was an uncontrollable youth, not because I was being taken out of a harmful um, environment. Um, and so it made it really hard feeling really unloved my whole life. Um, I really thought I would be dead by the age of 16. I was actually preparing for it um really thought that on my birthday when i turned 16 years old that i would die that day and it was just because wow. of what people told me growing up about how what kind of a person i am 
and I was this awful, horrible, um, slut, um, addict. And I really didn't even like drugs. I, I, I did start drinking a lot by the age of 15. Um, but, um, people say that the dare program in the eighties didn't work. Well, it kind of worked on me. It scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and so I, I dabbled in drugs a little bit, but never really wanted to get that much into it, you know? Um, mm -hmm. but yet I was told I was going to be, you know, just a worthless drug addict. Um, pregnant, homeless, no one's going to want you. And was told since I was very young that, um, you know, I'm not loved specifically by my father. Um, mm -hmm. So when you have that, um, that hole in your heart, that emptiness of not feeling loved by the very people who are, you see around you of other kids feeling loved by their parents, mm -hmm. it, it really leaves you open and vulnerable um, to people taking advantage of you. Right. And so, you know, that's why what led to me being trafficked again at age 15 is just trusting a man who um, seemed like he was going to take care of me. You know, what kept me with him is the one of the first things he did um, when I followed him to his apartment was um, he told me that he would protect me and he showed it by not letting me have any drugs that was being openly done in the apartment when I walked in. And Made sure to tell everyone that, you know, Tony does not get any of this. She's too innocent. She's too sweet. And no one's ever said that to me before in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of like the hook for me, like, oh, this man really cares about me, not knowing that the next day, you know, I'm going to be start being sold to, to people coming in and out of this apartment complex. So, um, um, so yeah, so it's these vulnerabilities like this that leave, um, people, um, you know, easily deceived into thinking that someone loves and cares about them. You know, I went from a father who would tell me he doesn't love me, doesn't care about me and just mm -hmm. tell me, you know, what kind of a person I am. And I didn't understand it at all and why he would treat me this way, um, to a man who says he's going to care for me, he's going to protect me. So, you know, already have having sex before, it wasn't a big deal to do it again. At least he's he's telling me he cares about me, you know? And that's all the difference in the world and kind of what keeps you there as a minor being manipulated um, into a situation that you don't want to be in, but yet this person seems to care about me. It's so kind of backwards and messed up, you know? Um, so, um, ran away from the girl's home. I, I learned the rules of how to get kicked out of a home and not be accepted to be back. And so it's become very helpful working in a home now, you know, for people, even though it's like adults, um, it's like, there's no, you, you can't have rules that people are going to break um, because they're going to break it just to prove mm. point to you, you know? Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I do. I, I that's what mm -hmm. I did. I was like, well, I'm going to show you that you really don't want me. And, mm -hmm. um, and got myself kicked out knowing exactly what would, would do it. Um, and sure. um, after that, though, um, I just entered this really extreme um, depression and really just gave up on life. And um, I was constantly taken to various homes now and then um, to be interviewed to see if they would accept me to live there. And I was turned down a lot because... I wasn't messed up enough, according to them. <laughs> oh my goodness. I had to have like a drug addiction most of the time, which I didn't struggle with. Um, I mm -hmm. did struggle 
with alcohol, but really it was just, it wasn't like I was craving it. I just wanted it because it made mm-hmm. me feel better, you know? So yeah. they really looked at that as an addiction. Um, so I was turned down a lot from various places to live that my parents would take me to because they didn't want me anymore. Um, and uh, so it was a lot of rejection and um, just going to school and not understanding what's going on because I was always worried about like, where am I going to be sleeping this weekend? Am I going to have to run for my life again from an abusive father, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, am I going to get kicked out or who's going to try and take advantage of me? And it got to the point where I was like, well, I kind of developed this warped mindset that, well, I'm going to take advantage of you before you take advantage of me. Um, and that where I start to put myself out there, you know, for, for sex and trying to get alcohol and partying and things like that. And, um, and so, um, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was a very depressing time. I hated myself back then and, um, tried to commit suicide quite a few times, but, um, mm-hmm. so I wasn't the, I was a quiet kid in school, mm-hmm. um, on the streets. I was loud and obnoxious, but right. in school, I was very quiet. Never been to the principal's office one single time in my life. Yeah. Um, teachers would ignore me if I came in drunk, which most of the days I was, and I would just go sit in the back very quietly and just, cause I had to be there, you know, and I didn't know where else to go. So it was really interesting how I kind of got just pushed aside and passed on in school mm-hmm. um, and nothing was ever addressed or no one spoke up for me and noticed what was happening. You know, I dressed extremely promiscuous and little half shirts and mini skirts and, um, but no one, no one looked at that as a red flag. It was just, oh, Tony's a slut, you know, and here she is drunk again, but at least she's quiet. So, um, so it kind of makes me feel really sad talking about this right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been a while since I've talked about it, but, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I did graduate from high school and I only did that because friends let me cheat off their papers and I didn't have the mental capacity to really be able to focus on school so that I could learn because I wasn't sure. in a safe place at home. Um, mm-hmm. But, and so I graduated and um, I really wanted to graduate because I knew that it would kind of be like my first ticket to freedom. I don't know why I, I knew that, but um, I wanted to get that paper at whatever cost it would take. Um, and to me, it didn't matter if I cheated. I, I got the paper. It says I graduate. I'm done with this part of my life and um, I can move on. And um, so at the age of 18, though, I um, got into a really bad relationship because I needed somewhere to live um, and moved in with a man um, and experienced some really bad stuff with him. And I ended up leaving with nowhere to go and um, remembered about this man that I learned about in high school that would take in kids who didn't have a place to go. So he actually lived near the girl's home that I grew up or I lived in for a little bit as a, when I was 16. And so I um, looked him up and his number was public. And so I got his number, I called him and he said, come on down. So I drove three hours to his place and moved in with him and his wife. And he was um, taking care of his grandson and one of his mm. daughters lived with him. I think it was her kid. Um, mm. And he was a retired police officer. Um, he was, um, you know, an active church goer. 
Um, and I've known another friend who stayed with him when I was in high school. So I just automatically trusted him. Mm. And um, I started looking for a job when I moved in. It was very, I was really scared. I was always on the edge all the time, but not because of them. I was just like this, I didn't know what, what I'm doing with my life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, um, so after about a month of living there, um, he set up a fake warrant for my arrest and had another man um, um, fake that they're a police officer and pulled me over one night. Um, and that's when they started selling me. Um, so that um, I had this belief that I had to pay off this warrant um, or I would go to jail. And it was believable that I had a warrant. I've had many court dates as a kid that I never showed up for. I didn't know much about the system. I was in juvie for a little while and they released me. And um, it's, you know, I've had a lot of experience of just being picked up off the streets as a runaway, which wasn't yeah. really a crime. Um, and so I, it was just, you know, a kid can't be on the street, but <laughs> so I didn't know, I didn't remember if I was ever really being charged with anything or not. Um, I did go back and get my juvenile records and realized that there was a few things, but it was just all really minor stuff. So it was believable that I would have a warrant for my arrest. Um, but I really didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a warrant out for me at all. And he completely made this up. Um, wow. and he, um, took my title to my car that I worked my butt off and paid $600 for this piece of junk with a giant hole in the floor and no, no, AC. <laughs> but it had a good engine and it got me around, you know, and, um, right. and so I was isolated in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, in the mountains outside of the city with this man who is now, um, selling me and then also having me take, pornographic pictures in his garage so that he can sell them. And I had to work off what I thought I owed him. And I was scared to death and I didn't have anyone to turn to for help um, to try to get out of this situation. And um, well, especially if you believed he was a police officer, right? like right. where, who do you run to the other police? Like right. in your head, you're like, this is real. And yes. this is a police officer who's doing something well within his rights. So there's no one else to really turn to. Right. Like it really effectively cut off any place that you mm -hmm. would be able to go for help. It really did. I mean, he was a retired police officer, but the guy who faked, who was a fake police officer is actually never a police officer. Right. Um, he actually was um, a convicted rapist that this retired police officer helped get off some charges. And I'm not sure how all that worked, but now they collude together. I learned, um, I didn't, uh, a friend actually um, was looking for me and um, learned that I was staying with him. And when he came and said, surprise, like, hey, I was so relieved to have someone to tell what was happening. Um, and so we like ransacked the house when they were at church, trying to find like the pictures and videotapes to try to take with us. So they couldn't keep them. Um, and he helped me get out of there and I would have not been able to get out. I don't think I, I don't know when I would have got out because I didn't right. know anyone. I didn't have contact with people. 
Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> this was in no internet, you know, this was right before in the early nineties. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. We got access to more information to get help and if we needed it. So um, it was a year after that when I realized I had no warrant for my arrest. It took me a while. This podcast is brought to you by the generous supporters of bringfreedom.org. You can make a tax-deductible donation on the website or on Venmo at bringfreedom. These donations go to support the persons with lived experience who bravely share their stories here and also toward the creation of resources to end human trafficking in your community. Before I started investigating, like, well, what happened to the warrant? Did I ever pay it off? Did I pay it? Did I work enough to pay this money back, you know? And so I called the local police department in the town and was like, hey, is this warrant taken care of? And they're like, you never had a warrant out for your arrest. What are you talking about? Mm, <laughs> I, was, so messed up. I was shocked. Like, I was shocked. I was mad. I was like, what the heck happened to me? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't have the term trafficking that I knew of back then. And, right. um, and you just go on with your life. You know, by then I was angry just in general from being taken advantage of men my whole life. And um, I was dirt broke and so hungry and um, living with the man who who rescued me, you know, um, from this situation and, you know, went from one abusive relationship to another is, is what it was. Um, but I didn't know the difference, you know? And, um, so my choices were to go strip, um, or is there another way where I don't have to use my body? And I yeah. decided to walk into a community college and just say, Hey, can I go to school? And that's when they helped me and I got financial aid and, um, to help pay for it. Um, I got a job making pizzas and, um, still starving and hungry, but I wasn't selling myself and I had a little bit of money to pay the small amount of bills I had. And I had to start with high school level classes cause I didn't, I cheated my way through high school. I'd never taken algebra in my life. I've never mm -hmm. taken a foreign language. Um, somehow I just kept getting passed on every year in high school to take consumer math with every high school I went to. I went to four different high schools just from being moved around so much. And, um, so I paid for it, taking high school level classes to try to get up to college level classes. And I failed those high school level classes multiple times. Um, wow. But I just refused. It was like my brain just wouldn't work. I was working hard. I was studying. I was trying to figure this stuff out. And um, it took a long time to finally break that where my brain just started working and was activated. And um, after that happened, I just started acing classes and doing really well for the most part in all of my classes. But it took me seven years to get my bachelor's degree just because I had to keep taking classes over and over again. Um, but um, I did it and I got it in education and um, became a high school teacher and went to the toughest school I could find to teach all the kids that were kind of being thrown away like me. <laughs> um, that's amazing. It is. And, and that's actually what helped me um, 
kind of have a voice also because I was always pretty quiet and didn't speak up, very compliant. I'm your compliant survivor that will do whatever you say so I don't get hurt, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, so teaching kids who are high most of the day or have a lot of mental health issues because of their trauma, you have to keep their attention. And I really wanted them to learn so badly. Um, I wanted them to have that piece of paper. And I kind of had the same attitude then as I don't, I'm not going to like let you cheat. I'm not going to help you cheat. But I also just want you to have this freaking piece of paper. I don't care what kind of grade. You <laughs> yeah. In Arizona, you can get a D and pass. So if that's what it takes and you get a D in my class, we are going to freaking celebrate because this is going to be one less hurdle you have to go through when yeah. you turn 18 because you may not care about this piece of paper now but there's going to be a time in your life when this paper you're going to wish you had it so that you could start the next step in your life and it's so much more difficult to get your ged than to graduate from high school you know yeah, yeah. Um, and so i did a song and a dance and put on a freaking show to keep these kids attention so that they would um you learn something enough just mm -hmm. to pass this class with arizona standards you know yeah um, and, and um so it was a lot of fun and it helped me learn i learned a lot about public speaking people keeping people's attention when yeah. i go now um but um so yeah i mean that's kind of like the short version up to that point um i did get married to that man who rescued me and we had four kids and it was um you know it's i'm not married to him anymore um and i learned a lot probably about i don't know 14 after 14 years of marriage or so started going to counseling because i just felt like i was a wreck inside um and still not really understanding the world or who i am or you know why do i feel so messed up about things that people are telling me i should be this way but i don't feel that way like what's wrong with me um and i had a lot of shame just building up inside and i finally just couldn't handle it anymore and um started going to counseling and um the very first thing i learned in counseling was that i have a right to say no yeah <laughs> that changed my life, you know, and I, my ex-husband will probably tell you it ruined his life. <laughs> but um, I, um, I, I actually laughed at my counselor when he said that. I thought I literally thought he was joking. I um, would never say no. I'm all about making everyone happy. But the only reason was was not because I wanted to make them happy. It was so that I was so scared of being hurt. Yeah. Um, physically, sexually, as like, do you know what happens when you say no to people? You get raped, you get beat, you get hit. Like, I ain't saying no. My life is good right now because I don't say no, you know? Yeah. Um, and so learning how to say no and not even needing a reason for it just shocked me. I, I was yeah. in disbelief. And it's kind of interesting how I can go through school and college and teach high school but yet not understand this concept um, and not even realize that it is a thing. Um, yeah. So it's not like I never heard anyone say no before. It just didn't register that it was okay for me to say no, you know? Right. Yeah. So it was very interesting learning that. Um, mm -hmm. then, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I remember when I first saw that there was like a meme or something and I was probably in my late twenties that said no is a sentence. And I was like, yeah. 
what? Yeah. Like, what is that about? I was like, it's not a sentence. It doesn't even tell people why you're saying no. Right. It's like, you didn't realize, I didn't realize how dysfunctional that was Mm -hmm. until, you know, I really kind of dug into that where it's like, well, why do I have to justify just not being interested in something or something? You know what I mean? Like, it, never, it didn't matter, whatever it was. I was like, oh, okay, sure, you know, whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really crazy. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, counseling was um, a huge roller coaster for me. My counselor wasn't experienced in um, treating people with trauma that I had. Um, and so I was triggered a lot and attempted suicide and um, a lot of suicide ideations. I had just this, I don't know, crazy personality. It's kind of like the teenager came out of me again. And, um, and, and it, it really does happen, I think, with a lot of people when they go through counseling. You kind of regress back to where that trauma started. And I felt like I was being kind of raised and growing up again, you know, in this very short amount of time. Um, and it felt like a roller coaster. So there were some things that were helpful about it. And there were some things that were in my counseling sessions that were very harmful. Um, but overall, it taught me how to be a better counselor for others, especially those who've experienced the, you know, sex trafficking trauma. Um, it's, it's helped me a lot to kind of understand what the do's and don'ts are when you're working with someone who has, um, this kind of trauma and how to help them through it in a safer way. So there's um, little or no harm done to them themselves that they do to themselves or that I may put on them so that I'm not doing any harm. Um, and, um, you know, EMDR really helped a lot with um, disassociating. I was a chronic disassociator and, and it really just became a way of life for me that I didn't realize I was doing. And I was checking out really most of my life. And um, even my kids, I remember them, you know, kind of poking me sometimes and being like, mom, 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 are you there? You know, do you know what you're doing? Do you, are you okay? Um, and I'm uh, not realizing I was disassociating. I had no idea. Um, and my poor children, you know, would get upset at me for not remembering like their friends that were just there a couple of days before at the house playing. And I'd act like I'd never seen them before. Um, Mm. and it's because I was any, any type, any little bit of stress I would have, I would just check out. Um, so if you understand disassociating, you can still function, do daily activities. It looks like I'm talking to you but I'm not fully present and I'm not going to remember that conversation I had with you. I don't, not going to know what I did the day before, you know? Um, And people would get really frustrated with me because I would never remember conversations that we would have um, or my kids' friends' names. And, um, um, and it's really hard on them, even though as they got older, they laugh about it a little bit. I know that it really hurt them a lot that, because to, to other people, it looks like you don't care, like you're not paying attention, you know, they sure. don't understand. And if you don't understand what's going on with you and why you're for, so forgetful, um, you don't know how to explain to them what's happening, you know, so they can have a better understanding. And I literally just thought I was stupid. I've, I'm just, I have mm-hmm. Alzheimer's already, you know, and I'm, I'm 30 years old and <laughs> I can't remember things. And I would just, I literally thought I was just dumb. And so when I started understanding what disassociation was, and you know, it just like, 
confirmed so much that's going on. Like, oh, I'm not stupid. You know, Um, there is there. I'm okay. There's nothing. I'm not a bad person. I'm not just ignoring people or forgetting things on purpose. I literally have an issue um, because of my trauma and an issue in my brain that that can be fixed in in some ways. So, you know, EMDR helped a lot with that. Um, I can still have a little bit of issues with memorizing things, but because I know that I have those issues of being present sometimes, I take notes all the time. Um, and it really freaks me out if I miss something. Like an example is um, someone asked me to speak and it was supposed to be yesterday. <laughs> oh, no. And um, I, I, there was like some kind of communication issue because oh. I don't, they didn't come back and confirm with me. They were oh. you know, they were very young. It was at UT. It was a student group, very young kids. Um, and they just thought, oh, we asked her. She's good. I'm like, no, I need you to re- email me back and be like, yes, this is the time. This is the date. This is the place. Instead, I got the day before. This is the time. This is the date. This is the place. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> ain't on my calendar. It ain't happening, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but we made it happen. But I don't remember the conversation. And so if I get too busy, I will, I can check out sometimes. And so I've had to learn little tricks and things to do to be able to keep a schedule, remember conversations, taking notes, um, just in case I happen to disassociate, you know, which doesn't happen as often, but it's, it it can happen still. It's, It's like this natural thing that your body does. And that's what my my go-to mechanism was for mm-hmm. any type of stress was just check out, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I definitely, I definitely understand that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I do hear that a lot from, from survivors as they're, um, you know, sharing their story and what, mm-hmm. what they've overcome since then, because it's one, it's one piece to be, you know, out of trafficking and to be physically safe, but the journey to being mentally and emotionally safe as well is a completely different journey. And, um, I, I wonder like if, if we had a way of like, what does that look like? You know what I mean? Like for survivors after Mm -hmm. the fact to be able to to look into details and just go, what are the strategies that are working for others? Almost like a AA for, yeah. <laughs> for trafficking survivors where you're like, hi, my name's Zona. This is my story. You know, but then you talk about like, you know, this is what I'm facing right now, or this is what I'm overcoming right. in these types of relationships, or this is how I'm choosing to be more present, or I found out I couldn't do these kinds of things because these kinds of things trigger me yeah. unintentionally, even though those things in itself are not bad. Like, right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. So. You gotta be careful not to beat yourself up over it and just, mm-hmm. you know, just like, well, this is how it is. And if people can't accept me for that, that's something I can't worry about, you know? Yeah. I'm doing my best. <laughs> just hanging on here. Just hang yeah. on. <laughs> True. Well, um, we are so grateful for you sharing your story. And we know yes. that it's like, it can be so triggering. Yeah, going back through um, those different pieces because those those feelings that you feel as you're going through those things, they were so real. 
Yeah. You know, like you didn't know any different. I didn't know any different. And it's like, we believe those things for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sometimes it's not as emotional recently. You know, I learned some more information about my story through some family and it just kind of hits you when you think like, oh, I'm healed. I'm good. I've processed yeah. everything. And then you have like, oh my gosh, you know, so I'm feeling a little emotional today just because that happened last week. And, um, yeah. um, and, you know, and that happens and that's something that, you know, as we go on our journey in life, you never know when you may find out a little piece when you thought you knew everything um, or, or everything you needed to know, like there's nothing else out there to be told, you know, and um, then you find something out and you're like, Oh, wow. That's why it kind of gives you more understanding for me in this particular instance, more understanding of why I struggled so much, you know, Um, and really learning how much, how how much was really up against me. Um, So um, yeah, but was part of the healing process and living life. So, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people are going to be getting those little triggers or pitfalls during the holiday season. Yeah, so it's important to be aware. Yes, yep. Take time and space for yourself and process. So, yeah. Yes. Be present with your emotions. Yeah. (laughs) All the fun of that. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, we, uh, we love what you're doing and we know that uh, you've written a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we want to make sure that people have access to actually read your book. So tell us a little bit about your book. Yeah. So my book is called What Happened to Me? Healing for Sex Trafficking Survivors. Um, I wrote it for a group of young women that I was um, um, doing some group work with um, and really wanted to try to reach everyone in the room who experienced different experiences of trafficking. And there was not any literature or information out there that just covered everything in like one book. You have a lot of stuff on just pimp trafficking, um, hardly any on familial trafficking and almost nothing on gang trafficking. And um, and you have a group of people in the room that's all experienced those type of things. And they would check out if you're just talking about pimp trafficking, if they experienced just familial trafficking. You know? okay. So I decided to write a book to kind of touch on all of that together so everyone can learn together about what is familial pimp and um, gang trafficking. And um, because it's, I think the beginning of my journey, what really helped was learning about what happened to me, like putting a name to it, definitions to it. How did it happen? How was I groomed, you know, Um, and trying to understand what it looks like in the context of what happened to me. So the book is um, stories about my life, but also stories of my survivor sisters who have written books, who have allowed me to put bits and pieces of their stories in there to help other survivors understand what they went through. Um, And so um, it's been, I have two editions. The first edition is, is just the book itself. And the, the, the young women that um, they, um, they got like the blueprint of it and got to pre-screen it and tell me how awful it was. And, <laughs> and they hated it because I put like a workbook oh. in there and they're like, no, this is too educational and professional. <laughs> and they just went through and marked it up. And I went home that day and cried. Like, I'm not cool anymore. What happened to me? I, just, <laughs> I thought I was doing good. And 
So I went back and redid it all and brought it back and they ate it up. They're like, leave me alone. I'm reading right now. They didn't want to do it with me. They just wanted to read the book and they absolutely loved it. So right. that's the first edition. But then I had a lot of organizations like, can you make this like kind of a workbook or do it? <laughs> or, I'm like, well, that's the part they don't want. They don't care about that. Yeah. Um, and so I did a second edition, um, and that includes like a study guide with each chapter and stuff so that people can discuss it. So that's a really good book for people in groups who are doing it mm -hmm. as a group together, whether it's a group of counselors who want to learn more about trafficking or lawyers or judges um, or people actually experience trafficking. It's probably the best for. And the first edition I recommend for people who just want to read it to learn more about trafficking. Um, yeah. so. But um, it's been a real joy to learn about people who are using it. And there's courtrooms that are giving it out to survivors that walk into their courtroom just to help inform them more about their experience so they can kind of get out unstuck from he's my boyfriend or, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff and break that trauma bond. But um, mm -hmm. so it's been really cool to have that out there. But you can find it on Amazon um, and it's called What Happened to Me, Healing for Sex Trafficking Survivors. So after like a couple of years after my book came out, Oprah Winfrey came out with a book with a What Happened to Me book. So <laughs> of course, yeah, she stole my title. So you have to <laughs> might want to Google my name with that. <laughs> you might get Oprah's book. <laughs> Not quite the same story. No. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, we also know that you, you've done a TED Talk mm -hmm. and that should be available online. Do you know yeah. where? Yeah, it's it's available on TEDx. Um, it's okay. called A Locket Full of Hope. And oh, wow. they actually did it during the pandemic. And so it mm -hmm. doesn't look like your traditional TED Talk. Um, but it's, it's more like this, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's kind of a bummer because you know, the tech talk they have like the big words in the back and everyone's yeah. clapping, the fake claps, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I've been told despite that, that it's really good. And this is about having compassion for people who have been trafficked and how to have compassion and show compassion. So, um, mm -hmm. hopefully you like it. <laughs> yeah, wow, I'm looking awesome. it up for sure. <laughs> And then uh, was there anything else that you wanted to share? How can people get in contact with you? Um, what yeah. does that look like? Well, I think if there's any survivors watching this, you know, um, I just want you to know that not to give up. You know, I've found a great organization to work for who believes in survivor leadership. Um, for the last four months, I've moved up to executive director of Magdalene House of Austin. And so it's been really, really cool to have that much influence in survivors healing because we know what we need, especially those of us who have been through the process. Um, and, um, and we understand how important it is for survivors to have voice um, in their healing process and not to be controlled again, you know, like we're a pimp. And um, a lot of organizations tend to get really controlling because they have all these great opportunities and things they want us to take be taken advantage of and do that will be very helpful but we really have to have our own voice and choice to be able to do that and navigate through that and so it's been really cool to um, be a part of this organization and have that voice and giving survivors a voice in their healing process um, and so um, but so don't give up on your dreams and keep working at it because it took me a long 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 time to get where i am you know, I started my healing process in 2010. 
Um, and um, it's, it's not easy, it's hard, and you need a lot of support and community around you to be able to do it too. You can't do it alone. Um, but you can also contact me on my website. It's just tonymckinley.com, Tony with an I. <laughs> but um, that's the easiest way to, to get a hold of me if you have any questions or need some resources. I can try and help you. Always want to try and help find good resources for people. So <laughs> that's awesome. Good. Yeah, well, we loved like getting to know you more and hearing your you know, incredible story of how you've walked through so much healing and really done the hard work on the other side of it and that you are yes. absolutely a handout and a hand up to those mm -hmm. that are um, wanting to free themselves from trafficking too, because, yes. you know, so important. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Tony. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season two of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share this episode with your community so that we can make more ripples to create waves of change. Thank you.